Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good evening, mate. Hi there, you alright? Yes, I'm very well, Brian, and welcome all to a chapter of my life with one of the two kings of Birmingham in the 70s, Mr. Brian Little. How's things? Uh, pretty good, to be honest, yeah, yeah, had a good day, nice and uh, nice and busy at home, you know, so um, it's been alright, yeah, pretty good. My wife's out at the gym, I would imagine. Yeah, mine's at Zumba. <laughs> yeah. She spends most of her life there, but after after school, after working hours, so she works at school, but she's very busy, and um, yeah, I've been really busy with the books today, so um, it's it's been a good day, yeah. Fantastic, and how's that right arm, because I've seen you signing so many books, at my, yeah. villa, my Aston Villa is the title, and we're going to be talking about your Aston Villa career, and it's not just your career, Brian, it's your life and times associated with one of yeah. the founder members of the Football League, Aston Villa, isn't it? Yeah, it is generally more about the club than, than myself. I mean, obviously, I feature in because of the uh, the opinions on being a fan, when I've been a fan, when I've not been working there. Um, being a youth team player, you know, being a, a youth team coach, working in the club shop, um, you know, being an informal advisor. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm polite enough to make sure that those things are, are right and proper, how they put in the book and, and proper. But yeah, it, it's, I mean, I've, you know, it's been quite enjoyable going back through the whole stage of it all, you know, with my good friend Peter White, who I know as Pedro Blanco. I've always called him Pedro Blanco for the last 25 years. Um, and it's it's been great fun, and we've sort of really sort of um, uh, revitalized each other in many ways. You know, the, the, the lockdown was pretty dim and dreary for us and we were talking one day prior to last Christmas and we said you know we're just talking about you know things to do and I said well you know I've always wanted to do a book about this and he went January we'll do it sort of thing <laughs> and um, and I said yeah yeah well we'll try it but if it, if it's if it gets boring and we don't think it's very good we'll just put off and he went yeah but you know um, five months later we'd written a book and um and and I can't believe it's out so early, as early as it is. But it's um, it, it's it's really I've enjoyed reading through it and checking it out with, with Pedro. And um, I think the fact that we know each other that well, we we talk all the time to each other when we're on. We've been on all sorts of uh, FaceTime calls. Um, took our time over things. If we weren't sure about something that we were talking about, we just did a little check up to make sure we we tried to get the stats right because. Quite often, you know, at my age, you talk about something and you say, was it really that or was it something else? You know, so it's been, it's been a fascinating sort of six, seven, eight, nine months now. And um, uh, both Pedro and myself are really, really delighted with the way the book looks and, and, and the content inside of it. Where did the friendship begin with uh, Pedro Blanco and how come Pedro Blanco, not Peter White? <laughs> well, the Pedro Blanco thing was very simple. We wrote a, a two-year diary about Aston Villa, the return of the little villain when I, when I, in the 90s, mid-90s, 96, it probably was. 
Um, and to write that book, uh, we both went on holiday together for two weeks. And, and in, in, I have to say, <laughs> he sacrificed his holiday because we'd talk all morning and into the afternoon, and then I would go and lie in the sun for the rest of the day <laughs> while he wrote all, everything that we'd, we'd uh, talked about on, on a tape, um, as it was on a recorder in those days. Um, and uh, we came away from a two-week-and-a-bit holiday with a with a two-year diary on, on Aston Villa. And um, uh, in, during that period, Pedro P- Peter White became Pedro Blanco because we were in Mallorca, of course, and we were speaking Spanish to each other. Um, so that's the Pedro Blanco part. Our friendship would go back to the 70s, mid-70s, probably late the 70s, uh, when he was part of the Birmingham Mail Sports August thing. And um, in those days, you'd always have a drink with the press lads. You know, I mean... We didn't have agents and things like that. And sometimes, you know, uh, it used to be a player would talk to a, a press man if, if he was a little bit unhappy. And the press man said, oh, I'll, I'll put that out. And, you know, you might get some interest from people. It's a different, it was, you know, there was the same sort of, um, a similar sort of way of things going on. But the press man was, generally speaking, the layers on I, I, Allah, the agent, so to speak. Um, and we be, we always became good friends with them, you know, after games, you know, socializing with them was good. They often traveled on the team bus that flew on onto games in Europe with us. So we were very, very close with each other. And, and, and um, Peter and I and many others, you know, got on really well. I mean, I, I, I can't really remember um, those days where you, you fell out with a press man. You know, you all got on really well. And if something went on that wasn't wasn't appropriate, sometimes it just got swept under the carpet and everybody would say oh god that didn't come out so you know so it was a, a completely different era and you know i mean I, i'm fully aware of of you know um how how things have to be done these days and we all are right and proper with that but you know going back to early uh apprenticeship and, and professional start um you know the press people were part of the part of the team really it was a, it was a it was a, a show where the manager used the press the chairman used the press the players used the press there was no such thing as a, a goal between agent in those days. And um, it just made for a, a happy, um, and I have to say, you know, um, it was a different era. You know, it was so so, so far uh, less professional then than it is today. We were all professional footballers, um, but socialising was, was part of the, the, the ethos of being a football player. Um, and it was encouraged by the team. It was encouraged by the manager. It was encouraged by the chairman. It was encouraged by the fans because they loved sitting in the pub having a drink with the players. And that's how it was in those days. Absolutely. And it's a shame that we couldn't return to those halcyon <laughs> days of the 70s. <laughs> no, I think, I think it has had to move on. And, and you know, it is a, it's far more of a spectacle now in terms of, you know, the, the media side of things. Um, so it has moved on in that respect. But, uh, you know, I... I I wouldn't swap my ears for anything in the world. You know, we had a fantastic time and um, I've been very lucky to still be in it. So I guess some of the lads from the 70s might disagree with me, you know, but, um, uh, you know, that's just the way things work out for different people, I guess. Now, your love affair with Aston Villa started as a 15-year-old boy when you uh, come up to sign mm-hmm. apprenticeship forms with, uh, with Villa and a couple of years after signed pro forms. And you were in and around the first team dressing room. And I know we've done previous podcasts, Brian, but your 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 visions and your memories of of that dressing room at Aston Villa always cracks me up. There's some wonderful stories. So firstly, talk to me about those 
days of you being in a kid around that dressing room? <laughs> well, it was quite terrifying, really, because it was a, a pretty hostile place, in all fairness. You know, there was anything up to 40 professionals in those days. And, uh, you know, they were very demanding. And, and you know, the, the, when you were an apprentice, you were an apprentice. You were there to clean boots, pick their kit up, uh, make a cup of tea for them, uh, run the bath for them, you know, uh, wipe up and clean up after wherever they'd done. And um, it was really harsh. You know, it was a tough period in, in, in life. I seemed to come through it okay. But, I, you know, I've seen a lot of lads who didn't enjoy it. And I I was happily, uh, uh, to, to I very happily sort of volunteered to, to make tea for the first team players because I, I had this mass even at that age, at 15, I remember I used to have these, and I've probably said it to you before, I used to have this, in my mind, look, listen, and learn. I used to say it to myself all the time. I didn't have to say anything. But everything that was going on, I was looking at it, I was listening to it, I was learning from it. There was things that were good, there were things that was bad, uh, in my opinion, you know, but that's only my opinion. But there was, um, it was very hostile because only 11 players could play in the team. Uh, as I've said, there were anything up to 40 professionals. So every Friday at one o'clock, the team sheets would go up and, you know, players who wanted to be in the first team who weren't in the first team were throwing their boots around the dressing room, stamping up and down, shouting at each other, swearing about the manager and all sorts of things. It was it was a really uh, unbelievable environment. And added to that, my first season as a 15-year-old, the club got relegated to the third division for the first time in their history. So it was a, a real eye-opener for a 15-year-old boy to be in a dressing room of men um, Hearing words that you know I hadn't really heard before, in all fairness, you know, it was it was uh, it was, it was uh, yeah, it was very hostile. But at the same time, um, you know, I was learning an awful lot. Um, you could you could sense where the goodness was and sense where the 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 the, the sort of more guilty type of player would be. You know, I I, I, I happily earmarked Bruce Rioch, Jeff Bowden, George Curtis, Ray Graydon, all these type of players who you know. Um, who would stick in my mind as being, you know, the good guys. Uh, and then you'd have the naughty boys, you know, <laughs> who, who would cut people's socks up and all sorts of things, you know, and then uh, and hide behind a newspaper while the, the sort of senior pro, the, the, the mutualized his socks, would look around trying to find out who's done them and, and was running around wanting to hit somebody, you know. It was, it was really crazy. It was really, and, and training was very tough in those days as well because of the fact that there was only 11 playing on a, on a Saturday. Most Thursdays we'd have like a practice match and it was like World War Three. You know what I mean? It's like, wow. You know, people were kicking lumps out of each other. Friday morning we used to train on the car park with 40 professionals. And, and often the apprentices had to join in as well. So it was like, um, it was like what you call killer ball. You know, they bang each other against the wall and all sorts of things. So, so it was a completely hostile environment, completely different to today. That's why I say it was... That's why I say today's football is far better. People are trained properly. There are sports scientists who can tell them what to do, what not to do. Their body's in great shape. They know what to eat, not what to eat. So I, I, I'm a fully-fledged, uh, having been involved for 50 years, I'm a full, fully-fledged advocate of, of today's football is a million times better. Uh, yes, the old-fashioned old ways were great and people got stuck in and had a, a bit of a fight every now and again and the crowd could get really into it. It was fantastic environment to be in. You know, the crowds were really still the same. Um, but it was, it was I, at times I look back and think it was barbaric. And I, I, that's what I thought about it. And I always used to say then, 
God, if I was ever in charge, not that I was thinking I was ever going to be charged, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. I certainly wouldn't do that. But I'd do that because I've seen Bruce Rioch do that. And, he, you know, he's a good guy. I can see that. So I learned so, so much in, that, in a very short period of time. And it helped me grow up. It helped me grow up with, with good principles. Um, and I, 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 I thank that. You know, I mean, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I was strong enough to come through that as well because, you know, if you didn't, if you put too many sugars in somebody's tea, they just throw it all over the floor in front of you just because it was, it was the thing they did in those days. But, you know, if you did that today, you know, people would be saying, you know, that's not right. You can't do that to a kid. You, you, can't, you can't upset them like that, and rightly so. But for me, at that, in that era, because it was like that, you got on with it. You gritted your teeth, you, you, you looked at it, and you, 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 know, you somehow came through that situation. Some boys didn't, in all fairness. Some boys you know, just sort of melted. And, um, and I remember that. That's why I was very anti you know, all sorts of initiation things and things like that. I always thought it was a little bit, you know, it was not right. You know, singing songs, fine. But, you know, just making somebody look silly or making them feel silly or making them feel small, I used to do. You know, I, I hated all those things. So I learned, and I, I, be, I had my own set of principles very quickly. In fact, when I went home, you know, after three or four months of apprenticeship, my mum and dad said, my word, Brian, you've changed. I remember, you know, them thinking, wow, you know, you're growing up. And I was growing up very quickly. So uh, it was brilliant. But at the same time, it was wrong. Um, and I learned a lot from the wrongs, but within the wrongs, there were many good guys as well. You know, there's a lot of good guys in there. And you had the singers and the smokers as well in the dressing room, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I used to love that. I mean, I, I always, I mean, Barry Hall, bless him, you know, he, he's passed now, Barry, but Barry would have two cigarettes at half time, you know, and he'd light the second one with the end of his, his stub of his, of his first cigarette. And, and then most of the lads smoked then in them days. You know, most of the lads would sit down with their legs crossed with a cup of tea and a cigarette and even before the game, because you couldn't go out on the pitch. You weren't allowed to warm up on the pitch before the games. You know, you only went out when the referee's whistle went. Um, so, the, you know, <laughs> uh, as I say, I love watching warm-ups today for games for players because, you know, you think, Craigie, you know, at 20 to 3, we were still in the players' room watching the horse race and the 2.40 race before we went into the dressing room at 3 o'clock. It's just a different world. <laughs> so, um, and I, I like to think some of all of that will come out in this book, you know, um, the different and then the change of the and the change of the way the managers looked at things and the change of the way that players did things and the different players as as the as it progressed and as it as it moved on and the different eras. So, you know, I think that's I'm I'm, I'm not saying it's it's like uh, that's it's a, it's a homage to that because it's just a story about the whole fifty year thing. Um, but but. If you if you if you're deep enough to look into it, you would understand that those sort of things are being pointed out. I think absolutely. And another differential from today to yesterday was the reserve games. Villa played in the Central League, yes. and, and your first game, you went up to Old Trafford and uh, Paddy Crellin marked <laughs> you, didn't he, and, and give you a bit of a chase. I did. He did because you know my <laughs> my coach said to me at 15 up, it was a midfield player for the first few months of of, of my career before I was moved to a forward. And he said to me, you know, we'd done pre-season training where I'd, I'd ran quite well. I'd never ran so far in my life in all fairness. I mean, it was hard as hell, to be honest. But he'd said to me, oh, you're playing against Paddy Curran today. He's been injured, so he's out of the first team, but it's his, his comeback. Listen, son, you can run him into the ground. Don't you worry about it. He, he can't run anymore. 
Well, they carried me off after 65 minutes. I mean, I, he, I couldn't get near him. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and for whatever lack of pace he had, you know, for whatever reason, every time I looked to find him, he was 10 yards the other side of me, he disappeared, and he was passing the ball out to somebody else. Um, and, and thankfully, years and years on, I, I, I met Paddy a few times, and I said, oh, you won't remember this, but you, I played against you when I was 15 years old, and, you know, you absolutely exhausted me. This is what my, my coach said to me. He just laughed at me. He just, he just laughed. And it was all, we've always laughed at each other all the years on, whenever I've seen him. He's always laughed at me. He said, all right, Brian. I said, yeah, I'm all right, Paddy. Thanks a lot, mate. Absolutely brilliant. Because he just... And that was the other side of football. You know, in those days... It wasn't all about being athletic and, and, and a great mover and everything. You know, you could get away with your brain and learn a lot off other players. And I certainly learned a lot, a lot off him that day because you know, he dropped his shoulder one way and I'd gone and, and then he'd just gone trickling over 10 yards to the other side and passed the ball away. So it was a great exercise and a great learning curve for me as a 15-year-old boy to play at Old Trafford against a, a legend at that time, you know, a great player. So, you know, we were, that was the other thing because we were, you know, thrown in at the deep end very, very early, which is not the, not the way it is today. You know, you, you, you tend to go through the grades. I mean, yeah, we have 18 year olds and 17 year olds, but, but it's far further and farther between than it ever was in the, in the olden days. We played, you know, a lot of senior players and I, I played a lot of senior players before I was 16 year old. So, you know, I was learning very quickly that way. I, and it, it certainly suited me anyway. And the best education that you can get actually doing it, going and playing against those senior pros that you learn so much off. Yeah, in those days, it was definitely the way to go. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, the academy system has changed completely. Yes, and the academy system is now still producing really quality players because if you, if you look at youth level, you know, England especially so are doing well at all levels, 16, 17, 18, 19, 21s. You know, they've done really well over the last few years. So, you know, there is it's a different way of doing things. Um, I, I came through the era where it was um, a lot harsher, uh, a lot more competitive. And you have to do things in a different way, you know. So um, I'm, I'm, I, I certainly won't criticise the modern way, um, uh, but I, I personally, you know, came through the old way and I enjoyed every minute of it. And you also came through that wonderful youth academy, although in those days they wasn't known as academies, or perhaps West Ham no. United was, but everybody else, it was just the youth team. And you got to the final of the uh, of the youth cup and won it five yeah. uh, two on aggregate against Liverpool. But you come through a tough game against Birmingham City, where in the two games yeah. at Villa Park and St Andrews, almost forty thousand fans went to yeah. watch you shape up against Trevor Francis, the two kings of Birmingham. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that era with Trevor and myself was fantastic. I mean, uh, you know, um, because of the media side of things and, the, you know, there's no social media or anything like that at all, you know, just to think even at that age at 17, you know, that we both had, you know, like a, a full page picture of the pair of us on the, 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 the newspapers and everything. It was just brilliant because that didn't happen in those days, but that. That particular game just caused so much interest because there was a lot of players in both teams. Yeah, a lot of team, a lot of lads from the Blues team went on to play a lot of first team games, and suddenly a lot of lads from our team went on to play a lot of games. Uh, some not so many for Villa, but but had good careers. So there were two really talented sides, and 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 Trevor and I um, were always sort of 
judged against each other. And, um, you know, we used to have a lot of times talking about it as well when we were younger, when we went away with the England youth team together. You know, it was it was great uh, being alongside him, although he was always in the team in front of me, which which sort of didn't nerf me a little bit, I guess, you know. <laughs> but then I got to the England first team, the, the national side, one game before him as well. So I was, I got a little bit of an own back sort of thing, but not too much because obviously I got injured and he went on to, to get many, many caps. But um, going back to the youth game, yeah, I mean, it was a, a fantastic uh, uh, spectacle. Um, either one of those teams could have won the Youth Cup. I mean, it was that close between us. You know, we, we went on to win it after beating uh, Blues. Um, but I have to say, I think they could well have done that if had they been us on, on over the two games, you know. So it was that close. There were some good players in their team as well. And Tomo played for uh, Liverpool, didn't he? Yeah, Phil Thompson played yeah. in the final. Yeah, um, yeah uh, you know, not a lot of players went on in, in the first team. A lot of them had careers in football, um, which which was the way. But um, yeah, Tomo, I mean, I got to know him well uh, the year after, or, or that particular end of that season when we all went off to play in, in the England youth team. Uh, in, in the international tournament in Spain, uh, which we won, which was, uh, again, a great achievement, you know, to be with uh, Phil Thompson, Kevin Beatty, who was a great player. My word, oh, he could yeah. play. Yeah, you know, he was some player, Kevin Beatty. Wow. Uh, there, and, 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 and obviously, you know, John Gidman was in that. I mean, there were some good players. And, and, and we won that uh, competition, international youth competition in 1972 in Spain. So... You know, I remember then. You know, the, the the world was beginning to change for me. You know, I mean, it's. Um, I think my performances were watched in the the youth cup final itself against Liverpool, and that's what got me into the 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 youth team itself. Um, there were players ahead of me. You know, um, players who didn't do so well. That called Stevie Camp, who was playing for Sheffield United's first team at the time, kept me out of the side. Um, I think Steve went off to play abroad somewhere. You know, probably America. I think it might well have been. Uh, but but not a lot of people would have heard of him, you know. But yeah. he kept me out of the team. Um, but but I, I so I scraped in, into the England team at the end because of the the Youth Cup final. I think more than anything else. Um, yeah, it, it was a fascinating period. Um, I remember sitting with Trevor, uh, you know, after in 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 Spain one day, and I and he said to me, "Have you got a car?" And I said, I, "And I said, no, I haven't passed my test yet." He said, oh, "I've just bought a Triumph TR6," and I was so jealous, you know. I was like, "What?" A Triumph TR6, wow. <laughs> it was brilliant. You know, for us, it was like, and John Gidman was there, and Giddy was thinking, ah, oh, you know, I've got a Cortina, so I'm going to, so he, you know, he was thinking, I'm going to have a car like that before long. But just little things that, you know, were inspirational to you at that time, um, to, to, to want to be the same as and want to do as well as. Uh, there was always a carrot ahead of you, you know, whereas today, a lot of things are given to, to the younger players today, you know, and that's the way of it. But in our day, you know, I think I was still earning sort of £18 a week when I played for England youth team and the Villa First team, you know. So it wasn't a lot. <laughs> I couldn't have bought a car with it, that's for sure. Hey. But going back to that Birmingham City versus Aston Villa youth game, yeah. it was, I remember it was it was in the papers, it was the talk of Birmingham. I've never mm. known anything like that since. And I remember in our school, we were, I think we would have been in infants, in those days, yeah. and it was yeah. all around our playground. It was you were either Brian Little or you were Trevor Francis. <laughs> Anyone that played football, there was only two players in Birmingham that you were: Ata Blues, Ata Villa. 
Yeah, we had a tremendous. I mean, we got a tremendous amount of spotlight at the time. Yeah. Um, and, and our youth team, as it went on and progressed, certainly got a lot of, of headlines as well. I mean, Gidman was a, an ex- exceptional player. People like Bobby McDonald, you know, went on to play for Man City and things like that. Bobby was a, a really good player. The '75 League Cup final in the mid, as a midfield player. Um, so you know they, they they were they were good players, and a lot of our lads went on and had good careers, even if it wasn't in England. Dougie George went off to Holland and played in, in Dutch football, and they stayed in America all his life, as Dougie stayed in, in Holland. Um, so they've had great careers elsewhere, but they probably myself and, and, and John Gidman were the were the two from our team that really stayed on at Villa and, and went. But Trevor and myself in those days were it was brilliant for us, you know, because because. We didn't have a rivalry between me and him. In fact, we got on really well. But but, but it was great for the fact to be able to, uh, you know, it's been, I don't think there's been that type of rivalry before where a player from each team has been sort of judged against each other so much, you know, whereas we genuinely were sort of thing, as you've said, you know, and you point that out as a, as a younger person, that you'd rather me or him if you were a Birmingham person sort of thing. So it's quite interesting and still fascinating to hear that uh, that, that was the case sort of thing. And we would always sing it in school, Brian Little walks on water, or it was Trevor Francis <laughs> that walks on water. Yeah. And and, and yeah. that there hasn't been two other iconic players growing up at the same at the time. Same time. Yeah, same time, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. And the two diff well the, the two big sides, well the two only sides in Birmingham to be fair. Albion would suggest that they are a Birmingham <laughs> team. But I've always thought that the Baggies are a black country team. Do you remember the game in nineteen seventy two at Villa Park? Where England played Scotland, a youth game. Yes, Bobby played. I remember it briefly. Yeah, yes. and you played. That was my first ever introduction and in game uh, watching uh, a live game of football. That was at Villa Park. Yeah, and it's not an official game, is it? Not. I mean, it's not gone down in the in records and that now. I mean, I tried to, I tried to check that out a little while back, and um, it, it's it's not been recorded as such, you know. So. Um, it was a game that was fixed up quickly um, between the two nations before the international tournament in Spain. So it was pre- it was like a prep game yeah. rather than an, an international. It was you know a friendly game at best. But um, yeah, I remember it, and I remember we lost one nil. Um, uh, Scotland beat us one nil, but we actually went on to win the, the whole of the European Championship thing as it was in that day. But I remember the game very briefly. Um, uh, uh, because it wasn't it wasn't like blown out to be something uh, special. In fact, as I've said, I, I think you would find it very difficult to find. I, I, I've got a few cuttings from the game from the local papers, but if you look on the England England itself on the England sort of uh, uh, um, looking through the, all the records, it isn't recorded as a as a proper international game to be honest. So that was a little bit disappointing that I didn't uh, I didn't have that put down. But I, I and I didn't get a a cap for that at all so you know I was again I look back and think oh that's a bit disappointing but um, it was still a, still a great occasion it was still lovely to play for and I still you know as I said uh, I had a few uh, memories and, and mementos from that particular game and 72 was the year of Pelly as well he came to Villa Park didn't he he played Santos in 72 oh crikey yes yeah um, and that was a, a completely different experience because the game was Declared under floodlights. The floodlights failed, so they had to get a uh, that, <laughs> they had to get a generator in to to, to uh, 
And, you know, I remember him saying, I think, I can't remember what the price was. It was a few thousand pounds to get the generator. And it was it made such a big story that, you know, Aston Villa had spent a few thousand pounds on even getting the generator to put the lights on and things like that. But, um, yeah, and, uh, you know, a few of the lads were, were lucky enough to, to be in Pele's, uh, um, in, in his company. I wasn't, unfortunately, I wasn't deemed to be working that night. I mean, there was a roster for who was doing games and, you know, a couple of the young lads got a got into the dressing room and he got to, to speak to Pele or sit next to him. I had photographs taken with him. Uh, I, I never got that uh, that chance, unfortunately. Um, but but yes, it was a it was a great a great game to see. Um, I had some really good games at Villa Park because we had semi-finals there quite often. And certainly in my apprenticeship days, we had uh, semi-final games there. Um, so yeah, it, it was it was an iconic place to be. You know, it was held as being one of those neutral stadiums for for semi-final games, um, so you know, watched quite a few different sort of sides playing there from time to time as well. One of the great venues in uh, in English football, and and you're right. I think there's probably been between forty and fifty semi-finals at Villa Park through the years. Another game in the seventies, bit of a, a nightmare game, and another game that was um, arranged as a friendly. Rangers come to town against Villa. <laughs> what was your memories of that? Pretty scary, I'd say. It was scary in fairness. You know, I mean, we. Uh... I mean, there's lots of things going on outside the ground. You know, there's lots of sort of rumours coming to us that there'd been a little bit of trouble on, on, the, on the way to the ground. I, I think, you know, it was a friendly game, but the, 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 the Scottish lads just, you know, landed themselves in the hold and they just basically sort of took over the place, really, you know. And, and uh, you know, they were, they were obviously a, a little bit worse the way for, for, for alcohol. Um, and, you know, within about 20 minutes, I don't think it was about 20 minutes into the game, you know, they invaded the pitch because we were winning two nil, and and you know it was it was really really quite scary. People were running around all over the place. There was lots of police there. We were guided, getting guided up the tunnel, and of course John Burridge, who was as daft as a bush, as we all know, um, left his gloves in the goal at the whole end, and he went back out to get his gloves. Everybody was going, "Where are you going, Butchie? I'm going to get my gloves." And everybody's thinking, "No, don't do it." But he just, he wasn't. I mean, he just, he just went out and did it. it was, so that was a bit of a, of a, of a funny part to it. But it was, it was really nasty. And um, uh, every now and again, we were standing in the, t- the tunnel and because we had the stairs up to the tunnel in all stairs in those days, and um, it was very narrow. And every now and again, the policemen were bringing, uh, you know, a, a fan out who was fighting like crazy and was coming up the tunnel. It was. We were waiting there to see if we could go back onto the pitch, but it just never happened. We just couldn't get back out to play again, and uh, a friendly game was abandoned, which was, you know, quite bizarre. Really. It was quite incredible, but you know, mm. again, Scotland when they come down to England, they do bring a, a fair amount of supporters, and sometimes yeah, was, it can get there as well, wasn't there? Yeah, it was a, a, a sort of fighting culture at that time, which was, you know, not. Again, not healthy for the game. So, again, it's good to see the game having moved on from that. Um, uh, but yeah, that 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 really was a a, a difficult day and a, a one that you know it's it, it was strange. You know, we didn't. It's hard to enjoy it. But we didn't enjoy. You know, didn't enjoy it a bit. But um, we were two 0 up and 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 much abandoned, which was pretty disappointing for the fans, I guess. And there was a bit of a fighting spirit with you and Ron Saunders. You didn't see eye to eye. You were the rebel. He was the disciplinarian. Um, I suppose it didn't get off to a good start when he just asked, who are you? 
<laughs> when you walked yeah. in on your first meeting. And yeah. then when you tried well, to I, not I, make I, the goalkeeper, it didn't really cause well, any favour with that run, did there, it? There have been a few times. I mean, I, I think I, I like to think now, when I, now as I've grown up and, 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 and eldered somewhat, um, I'd like to think you know, a lot of it was... Um, uh, almost an act on his behalf, you know. Yeah. He knew how to wind me up, and uh, he knew that winding me up actually made me play better in many ways. I think, um, um, but at the time he was, he was, you know, he wasn't all overly kind to me at times, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know. But that that was his way, and I, I've learned that years on, you know, because um, I look back and there was people like myself, Tony Morley, Gary Shaw, um, who were, you know. Um, it's hard to think of the right word, but you know, we 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 were we were more, of players. more yeah, more yeah, more the players we needed to give the ball to, you know, and, mm. and and yet then he'd have his other players in the team and we knew he could we knew what they would do and he liked them lads and he was a little bit kinder to them. He would still wouldn't do them a favour, believe you me. I mean he wouldn't, you know, he would never let anybody get away with something. If someone asked for a, a day off because of something, it it, it just didn't happen. You know, I can't think of anything that he, he, he would let go sort of thing. So I think his principle was, if I do a favour for somebody, I'm going to end up doing it for everybody. So uh, he was. But he, with me, especially so, he, um, he really took me to town uh, and, and, and tested me an awful lot. You know, like, um, uh, <coughs> excuse me, sometimes um, I've I been injured and, and I remember, you know, young Gary Shelton had got in the team. He called me in and said, oh, he's a better player than you now. Um, you know, so you won't be playing for this team for a long time uh, and then I think I can't remember you know Shell didn't have the best of games he was in for a couple of games didn't have the best of games against one of the sides and he called me and said right you're playing Saturday and I went what? you've just told me I'm not playing anymore you know you've told me Gary Shelton's much better than me and Shelton's a great lad believe me and, I, and I, it's no disrespect to him at all you know because um, he was a lovely lad and a, and a really good player went on to have a decent career Um but he just used players' names, and he used to he used to think that I would go out as I did and say, "Oh, he's just told me you're a better player than me." And you know, we we you know we were open with it with each other uh, uh, because he, he he did that. But he was the same with Shelts, you know. I mean, right, you're coming out of the team now because Brian Knight was going back, sort of thing, you know. He's, so there was lots of players who got the the harder side of it, and I was one. And if he'd say to me some days, well, you might have to leave. And I'd say, yeah, that's fine. I'll, I'll go. He'd call me in the next day and say, right, Grimsby want you. And I'd say, well, but they're bottom division three. He said, yeah, but they're interested in you. <laughs> so, and then he'd say, but you're playing tomorrow. And I'd go out like human, but thinking, right, I'll show him. I, I, I'll have a bit of this. And so I, there was so many little things that he did um, that that I, I, I just think years on, it was his way of getting the best out of me. Um, but did I realise it at the time? No, not one little bit. So we did fall out quite a bit, you know. So this, um, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I was a little bit hot-headed in the time. And, um, you know, I uh, I needed to calm down. And uh, I don't think I did too often, to be honest. Saunders was a genius. For what he'd done, the way he managed that team and the way he <laughs> assembled two sides, because, OK, the Villa team that went on and won the European Cup in 81, won the League 81 Cup in 82, um, in many schools of thoughts, people would say that the team in 76, 77, probably technically was a, a better side than the team that won it in 82. You were both great teams and both, <clears throat> both very similar teams, but different personnel. Some similar, but different as well. You built, 
he built different teams. He built yeah. probably three different teams at least in his there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet each of the players had a, a similar format to each other. You know, you exactly. could com- you could compare. Although Cropley wasn't as good a passer of ball as Gordon Cowens, he was the same sort of he's the same beautiful left hand of, of, of a left foot. Uh, Caradus and, and Des Bremner, um, you know, you could you could put them in the same boat. Mortimer as captain, uh, he would always be in between them. Them was was brilliant, you know. Uh, you know, Gary uh, um, Keith Leonard and myself. Andy Gray and myself, you put uh, Peter with and Gary Shaw in the same sort of categories. Uh, a winger who could score goals, you have Ray Gray and Tony Morley. You know, there, there are so many similarities um, uh, about two really strong centre forwards. You know, we had Chris Nicholly and Ross who were really dependable, Alan Evans and, and, and uh, Kent McNaught. Full backs who were just completely reliable. You know, you look at uh, uh, the, the full backs matched each other up all the time. Uh, and he was, uh, yeah, he was a master of that. With, but I'm, I'm must say, you know, Tony Martin has to have a, a bit of uh, praise for this as well as his chief scout and, and highly recommended players to Ron. But he would have had the DNA of a, of a player off Ron, what he was looking for, what type of player he should be, what his strengths and weaknesses were. And he built two teams that, um, the names were different, but the actual strengths of those and weaknesses of those players were identical, absolutely identical. He built that sort of a side, which helped me later on in, in, in my managerial career try and recreate a Ron type team, which often helped me have success at clubs. But, yeah, his teams were unbelievably well-drilled, unbelievably fit. Um, we never got a day off with Ron Saunders. You know, we we used to get a day off. With, a day off was, uh, right, you're in at 9 o'clock in the morning and you'll be gone a quarter to 10. Um and it was 45 minutes of hell. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and, and it was always on, a, on a, a Wednesday or a Thursday because he would make sure that we couldn't go out the night before. Because I think when he first came to the club, the culture where we were encouraged to have team nights out and, and you needed the next day off to get over it sort of thing. Well, he, he as, as he, the minute he came into the club, he went, right, you're not out together anymore. You, you, you can go together, but I'm not having a big group to be going out together. And if you do, you will find out why you're not going to do it. Because next morning, I've seen it at the start. You know, half a dozen will have come in, haven't been out all night. And uh, they'd wish they hadn't after 15 minutes. You know, it was hell. Um, so he taught us that way. It was hard in that respect. Um, and he changed the discipline of the club. Um, he, he certainly was aware of people who had a drink. I mean, Tony Morley will tell you the story. He always come right up to your clothes. Just to smell you, just to see if it was alcohol smell on your breath or anything like that. Um, so he was just because that was an that was a thing of the era, you know. It was that was team spirit and team bonding at that. So he was in many ways ahead of himself. He didn't think that was good for you, so he, he was really going to stamp it out, and he did do. Um, but when you'd won a game on a Saturday, you know, he'd happily walk down the bus and give you a beer and even give you a cigar. You know, often he often handed cigars out. Um, so there was a time that he would he would say right here's a little bit of celebration, but he would he would he would never let that affect his preparation for games. His preparation was was you know the same routine day in and day out throughout the week, um, till you were organised and knew exactly what he wanted. Um, so and that's only something that I, I've sort of learned years on. You know that's why he was doing it and 
That's why he didn't mind not being liked by people because he knew it worked and he, he knew some people, if he let them off a little bit, he knew they would probably, you know, let the team down. So he was he was a, an incredible man. Um, and, uh, you know, as I said, I didn't really get on with him very well, but I, I have the utmost respect for him. The highest respect, in fact, I would say. I loved when you recall the um, time when you met Ron many years after to oh, apologize. Yes. I did. <laughs> I did. It was like a, it was like a, a League Cup winning uh, 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 to at Villa Park. And Alan Evans, I wasn't invited. I mean, Alan Evans said Alan's wife Gillian wasn't going. He said, "You come along with me." I went, "Oh, brilliant! Thanks a lot, everyone. That was great." And I saw Ron Saunders, and he looked at me, and I think he thought, well, he did me a sort of thing. <laughs> and I went on, and I said, oh, Mr. Saunders, I, I was a football manager by then. Uh, I said, oh, Mr. Saunders, it's lovely to see you. I, I really just want to apologise all these years on. He just looked at me, turned away, and walked away from me. <laughs> I think he, he was still playing out his part. There was no way. I, I have to... I have to say, I feel in my heart because, I, you know, the lads have told me, ah, oh, look, he, he was he was well pleased and everything, you know, and he was, but he just didn't want me to, he didn't want to do it for whatever reason. Even when he was older, he just wasn't going to let me off the hook sort of thing. It was a classic, classic meeting. Um, so, you know, it, but he played, his, he played his part all the way through it without a doubt. Absolutely, and you played in two League Cup finals at the Villa, Brian. Uh, successful, yeah. um, successful European, successful League Cup finals. Uh, one went on for a long time, didn't it? In '77, but the '75 yeah. one, one-nil win. Uh, Ray Graydon penalty. Kevin Keelan, a former goalkeeper at Aston Villa, got fingers to the post, come back out, and Graydon bagged the winner. For uh, you, I've listened to your previous podcast. You believe that 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 game really focus the eyes of attention for your international career to kick off yeah. that Norwich game. Yeah, I think, I think that and the, and the, and the Youth Cup uh, uh, before yeah. that Youth Cup had helped me in the England Youth. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> that particular game, I think I played, I felt I played well. I mean, I, you know, I could often say I could have pitches thinking I wish I'd had the ball or, uh, or I'd been battered by a big centre-off for 90 minutes. Um, uh, uh, but I came off the, the final um Believing I'd played really well, and I, I, I was really happy with that, you know, and the fact that we'd won. Um, and I think I was one of, one of those players who was pleased enough with myself to say I'd played well some games, but, you know, if I hadn't played well, I'd be, you know, I'd be criticising myself more than anything else, really. Uh, um, or, or more than anybody realised, I think, more than anything else. Um, but yeah, I, I genuinely felt I'd played well. I had. You know, a couple of lads really trying to stop me. Dave Stringer, who was a, a real good, experienced player. Uh, Tony Powell was the other player. That, that between those two, they were trying to make sure I had a hard time of it. And um, But I think I worked the channels well. I got into good positions, um, you know, and, and, and I, I, I just I genuinely felt for a final, I thought I was involved in the game a lot. And, and um, you know, I think that, gave me an opportunity to get into the England squad at the end of the season. It was, uh, and plus the fact that, you know, that season we got promoted to the, um, uh, back up to the, the, the first division in those days. So um, I, I think that game highlighted and showcased, you know, what I was about at that time, really. And certainly reacquainted you with uh, Birmingham <clears throat> City. And as a 21-year-old... <laughs> Scored the winner in uh, in a Villa Blues derby in here at Villa Park. In fact, that was Andy's first introduction 
as he was sitting in the dugout watching you took that ball away that you took off Kenny. Yeah, I think I think I didn't really take it off him. I think he lost it under his legs. He sort of <laughs> slipped. He slipped a bit and uh, just nipped in and uh, and again just side footed in the corner. You know, so yeah, a, a little flick on from I think Frank Carrier's got a little flick on and um, Kenny was about two or three yards ahead of me and I to slide the ball out of, out of the the danger zone um, and of course it slid under his feet and I just nipped in and uh, and put it in. So yeah, I've, I've had the pleasure of. Of, um, of of scoring in a, in a Blues Derby game, but I've also had the the other side of it. I've been beaten a few times, and you've also assisted in a Blues <laughs> Villa game, and that one was at St Andrews. Um, rolled out to a Dennis. Dennis gave a nice little ball to you out your feet. Yeah, counter oh, That was the perfect counter attack goal, in my opinion. It was bang, 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 and Andy. Again, a typical Andy Gray left-footed shot. It was a yeah. little bit like uh, Kenny Dalglish in '78 against Bruges in the in the final. But you know, yeah, yeah I think you know the amount of times the Jimmy Grimmer caught caught a ball. Dennis Mortimer was incredible at just turning and spinning into an area where Jimmy could throw the ball to him. And Dennis started. So many counterattacks off for us, it was untrue because he could a he could either pass the ball or b he could genuinely run with the ball. He, yeah. he, he was a, a unique in, in that that era. I mean, I think there's been an era lately where midfield players don't run with the ball very often now. You know, they, it's about passing. Uh, Dennis Mortimer was one of those midfield players who could run with the ball, um, and uh, he ran with. He looked, you know, there's a lot of modern players that like it, but but. But Dennis looked quicker with the ball than he did without it, and yeah. it was because of his run that he, Jimmy would always Jimmy come to look across. Dennis Mortimer had this uncanny knack of spinning round the outside of who I was marking him. The ball was thrown into space, and he, he started counter attack after counter attack after counter attack. I mean, he was a superb player, Dennis Mortimer. You know, I, I, again, I, I I say he's one of the you know the, the the most unlucky players around that era to have not got England caps. I still to this day uh, we had a good team, and he was a good captain, and he was a heck of a good player. And you know, but again, you know, England in those days basically, you, you know, you didn't have friendly matches throughout the season. There wasn't international get-togethers. So once a team was picked, it, it sort of stayed picked type of thing, you know. So. Um, it was very difficult for him to break in, but Mortimer was a a, a top player who who should have played for England, but unfortunately didn't get many chances. You know, it's quite incredible because when you look at Dennis's career, um, and I think if you're looking back in time as well, probably it's got to be in the top three of of players that should have been capped by England. I'll put Alan yeah. Kendall in that, and also Jimmy yeah. Greenoff, but Dennis Mortimer, what a yeah. player! Dennis Again, you know, I think a lot of people don't understand that in the, in the present game now, you know, that England international teams have friendly matches, friendly get-togethers, training get-togethers. Yeah, yeah. There was none of that in those days. You mm. know, basically there was a, an international at the end of the season, or you know, be very lucky if there was one through the season. You know, the 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 World Cup was basically about the, the top sixteen clubs in the in the world, wasn't it? Really, yeah. the, you know, the, yes, it was. So, so the whole the whole structure about today's football um, is just a million miles away from how it was. You know, there were, there were, I, I think 
you know, if you were to sit down and look through all the teams in the league at those days, you would say, oh, why didn't he play more games? Yeah. What, what about him? You could pick out, you know, I think lots of players from, from, from different clubs who in today's environment would be given a chance by the manager. You know, we've got to get together. I thought we'll call him up for England and we'll play him in this particular friendly game. Uh, and, and, you know, you, so you, you've got a chance to prove yourself at that, that stage. It wasn't the case in those days. And, you know, I, 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 I totally understand it because I was there um, and I was there playing in that period. But so from my point of view, once Trevor Francis got into the full England squad and into the team, it was very difficult for me to oust him because, you know, unless he got injured, you know, he was going to play in the few games that England played, as was, you know, all the players in those days. So um, that's the only that's the only thing I can, in defence of whoever was in charge of the English team in, in those eras, um, the, their defence would be, well, we've got the team, we've only played two games this season, I only get them together for two games, you know, I, I've got to play my best team as I see it sort of thing. Um, so it's, it's, it's just the way the era was. Um, and uh, we we have to accept it. I'm afraid that's why, you know, um, the the caps weren't as, as as spread out to players as they are today. Absolutely. And uh, Andy coming down from Scotland, the perfect partner for you. And I know from Andy's point of view, you were the perfect partner for him. Yeah, look, I was great to play with him. He was, he was just an absolute dream. Yeah. <laughs> after the brush, mad, you know, brave as a blooming lion. I mean, honestly, you could say it in different ways. I don't mean after the brush in terms of, um, I, I mean, in terms of how brave he was. You know, he would put his head, I've I said it on so many occasions and so many, you know, so many get togethers with fans. Basically, I put the ball in front of him and I knew either his head or his feet were going in there, you know, and, um, uh, there's lots of things that certainly I wouldn't have dived into some of the areas he dived into. Uh, it was brilliant. Uh, and he was so infectious. And he, he was like the first person at Aston who really ran around celebrating goals and let everybody know he'd scored. You know, was, we used to think, what's he doing? Just run back to the halfway line, for God's sake. You know what I mean? <laughs> we did that back. I mean, players, some people who see little bits of me now go, why didn't you celebrate when you scored a goal? I said, well, it just wasn't the thing in those days. You know what I mean? It was like, shake each other's hand, get back to the halfway line and go again sort of thing. Um, uh, I think if Andy played in the modern game, he'd probably be one of the most, you know, his, his, his celebrations would be outrageous, I think. <laughs> I think he'd be doing all sorts. Uh, but he was just great. He was, he was wonderful for the dressing room. Uh, he was wonderful in bad days because in bad days he would be, he'd stand up and he, he wasn't afraid to say what he had to say. Uh, he was a tremendous motivator on the pitch, off the pitch. I loved him to bits. And, you know, he was an absolute... I mean, I, I had a great relationship with Keith Leonard before him. Yeah. Um, and he got injured, unfortunately. But Andy was... I was just, he was just brilliant. I mean, he wasn't the biggest player in the world. But he could jump over the top of people. He used to hang on shoulders. He used to really get up early and hang there. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a, it was an, a, an art an art form of heading the ball, which was around in those days. You don't see it today. You know, um, today if you jump earlier on top of somebody, generally it's a foul. But in those days, you know, yeah, what was that? It was appreciated that you got up early and hung there. Uh, and so how high he got for the size of him was just unbelievable. Um, yeah, he was a, a special, special player, a special, a special talent. And... Uh, it was a massive shame when he got really badly injured. He carried on because he was brave as a lion. I don't think too. I don't think too many people could have carried on 
what he did, you know, with his injury, and, and then went off to Wolves and other clubs and still played on. So, yeah, he was a tough lad as well. He had a bit of everything about him, without a doubt. One of the greatest strikers, uh, well, central strikers in the in the country in the 70s. I think him and uh, Supermac were, were up there in, in a league of their own as, a you know, the archetypal number nine. And both in that 76-77 season ended with 29 goals. You bagged 26 and Dixie scored a yeah. few as well. And then, of course, you yeah. got to the final against Everton and Andy didn't play in that. No. I mean, I, I, you know, for a forward line to score over 70 goals between them, I mean, yeah. it's like, you know, it's unheard of today, I guess. Um, uh, but but that's how we were. That that team was the... Uh, again, it was... It, it was for, for, when I, we talked about Ron Saunders before, I'm sorry to go back to it, but for that team to be broken up and for it to, to be put together again and mended and, and arguably go on to achieve more, which it did do, yeah. achieve more, whether, you know, you could argue... And I think even today, some some people would, who played the tour the '77 team would say, "Yeah, but you know, it was great watching them." Um, but he, he just he just evolved his teams. I mean, for him to break that team up and to rebuild and and, and then win the league, um, I it's an incredible achievement by Saunders. Yeah, the '77 was just great fun. You know, we were really entertaining. Um, Andy, myself, John Dean, who came into it, was was you know. Probably not given as much credit as he as he should have had, uh, Dixie. Um, but he, you know, he was a young lad who worked hard, who got his share of goals, who helped set things up. Uh, so you know, Dick, young Dixie was 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 a good lad. Um, uh, Andy and myself sort of took the headlines from him. But I I I genuinely say, you know, he was he was uh, very much part of the of a three pronged attack. You know, we had the those two lads who played more central. I was given a pretty much free role to do really what I wanted. You know, I played alongside Andy as such. Um, but when Dixie came in, I often was given a total freedom role to go where I wanted to do what I wanted. Um, uh, so, you know, within my period of, of playing with strikers, I played two with Andy, uh, uh, Keith Leonard. That basically was a, you know, two-pronged attack. Andy Gray, a two-pronged attack. But when Dixie was in there, it was a, a slight variation on that. Um, I was given the Tony Morley, Ray Graydon type of role, yeah. you know, and, and they scored. I mean, Ray Graydon scored thirty goals one season from a wide position, didn't they? You know, um, and that was something that was given to me. So there were slight variations on Saunders' teams, but the, the same principles were there all the time. Um, uh, so, but '77 was a a great period for the for the team and the club. It was massively entertaining. Before we go on to the 77 uh, League Cup final, you also partnered uh, briefly with uh, with Andy Lockhead, didn't you, in the early days? I did. I loved Andy. Andy was a man. I was a little boy. And I, I knew I was a little boy when I stood next to him because he, <laughs> he, he didn't try and make me feel like a little boy. It's just the way he sort of spoke to me. Yeah. Oi, son, come on. Wherever I am, you get within 10 yards of me and be on the move. Pick up all the pieces. Um, I mean, he... he, he, he he became, uh, uh, I remember playing against Fulham when he was assistant manager, I think, and we beat them and I'd scored a hat-trick and he'd done a piece in the paper the night before saying that he really, you know, was really, really pleased with me and thought the world of me. Um, because I never got that sort of conversation with him. He was always, you know, I, I almost called him Mr. Lockhead more often than not. I mean, he was just that sort of a man and nobody argued with Andy. I mean, he was, <laughs> he 
was a tough nut, my word. Um, but he used to, it was those days, it was centre-half versus centre-forward. That was probably the, 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 the main difference between winning and losing. If the centre-half won the battle, that team would genuinely win. If the centre-forward won the battle, that team would win. Yeah. And they, they, those respective people on each team knew how important their role was because, you know, most teams who talked about in those days was, you know, when you get a chance to hit your centre-forward, hit them with the ball and that starts the attacks off. So Andy was very pivotal in the team. He was very much the target man. And he always used to say to me, if you're 10 yards away from me when the ball comes to me, you're in the wrong position. You need to be close to me because, you know, I'm either going to flick it on or the, he's not going to get a clear header. Let me tell you, the centre also going to have a clear header or me and him are going to be scrapping with each other and the ball will drop in between us. He said, but I'm not going to let a free ball go ever. So you need to be on the move around me. And that's how the game was in those days. But he was, he was just a, a, a he was just a, a real man in a man's game. Um, centre halves and centre forwards were big, rough, tough guys in those days. And um, you, you know, you had to, to to live with them, and you'd got to love them because they were they were massively important for each team in those days. I was watching the um, Bournemouth game on uh, on YouTube today. Oh, yeah. Jeff Bowden and Andy Lockhead scored in that game. A brilliant yeah. diving header from Ted McDougall, I've got to say. Yeah. One of the greatest yeah, was... diving headers I've ever seen, yeah. apart from, of course, Andy. But how yeah. instrumental was Jeff? Because you pretty much took Jeff's number eight shirt, didn't you? Jeff was leaving. You was the new kid on the block coming in to take that shirt. Uh, Jeff Bowden was probably one of the... the I, I, I would say, I mean... Uh, and I don't talk about Jeff very often, but Jeff was one, probably one of the best professionals I've ever come across. You know, he's a perfect gentleman, uh, played the game properly, never never anything overly flashy, but always there, always in the right team at the same place at the right time. Um, he was just a general all-round good guy, you know, and um, uh, someone who I respect an awful lot. He, uh, he, he, he was one of those good pros, you know, the real top-notch, and Bruce Rioch and others, were, were right up there. And he was, you know, just so underrated. I mean, yeah. he was quality. Um, uh, and he, he oozed sort of uh, style when he played, you know, even on the, the pitches when they were bobbly and there was sand all over the place and everything. Everything he did was like just in sort of perfect precision, you know, he was just really neat and tidy. Um, yeah, I liked it. Uh, a lot of time for Jeff Howard and he was, uh, he was, you know, one of the, one of the real sort. And he helped that, that club through that period, third division, and coming back to the to the to to, to rebuild, um, he did a great job for the club. And you know, there was a lot of people in those eras played for Birmingham and then Villa, Villa, then Birmingham Wolves, and then Villa. And it was the way it was in those days. And um, it wasn't as as frowned upon, and it wasn't made as difficult by by people. You know, um, oh, he's just come from Birmingham. Yeah, well, he lives here, doesn't he? So it's not it's best that he comes close. You know, and that was the that was the mentality in those days. You know, but at the same time, they still had to prove it to the Villa fans or the Birmingham fans gone from whichever way they'd moved from. The fans still needed to be proven by. He needed to prove to the fans that he was worthy of moving from Birmingham to Villa or Villa to Birmingham, whoever the respective player was. Still that stigma, but it certainly wasn't as as it is today. Um, but but you no, know, Vauden was a uh, yeah, he was a, a top professional footballer in that period where. There was a lot of lads who, you know, lived life to the full, um, and you know, football was a, a job to them. But you know, it was still, 
it wasn't as professional as, as people like Jeff Auden made it be, Bruce Ray or Ray Gray. I keep going back to these names, but because yeah. there was uh, George Curtis, George Curtis was unbelievable as a professional footballer and stood in that dressing room in front of people and pointed at them and told them what they were, you know, and in a period where we were, were about to be relegated out the third division, uh, to the third division, he stood there and told everybody what they should do. And he was very instrumental in rebuilding that club. So there were good players there as well. And, um, uh, I, I was just pleased to see all that, you know, absolutely pleased to see that where, because that stood me in good stead in the, in the mid seventies, you know, um, when it would have been easy to go out with the lads all the time, which is something I didn't do. You know, I, I, I kept myself very much to myself, really. Apart from Giddy. Apart from Giddy, yeah. <laughs> I, I never you had to pull him out of a few times, out. didn't you? Well, I, I, never, I never went out in a gang of players. I mean, that was the yeah. thing I hated more than anything else. You know, mm. I, 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 I thoroughly enjoyed John's company. You know, and that didn't mean I was not a friend of the lads, but... You know, they would know, not that bother asking me if they were going out as a group, because I just went, no, no, I, 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 just not for me. You know, you, you'll just end up doing something silly. And I, I, I'd seen it as a kid, and I, I didn't want to go down that road, you know. So, um, Gidman, but John and I had, you know, we used to go out on our own and, and have fun. But because we're on our own, you know, it was it was more more professionally done. Not not professionally, but it was done on a, on a lower profile. Yeah. We enjoyed being out with each other. We had a great laugh, but we weren't sort of you know in a massive group causing problems or anything like that. So uh, that 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 <laughs> I just love Gidman. I can't help it. You know, I mean, he, he's quite grumpy these days. In all fairness, you know, I have to say, um, but uh, he was a wonderful man. He's so funny. I'd love John. He was a crazy, crazy lad. We had some good laughs, without a doubt. Again, another player that should have played a hell of a lot more for England. Yeah. Well, he moved to uh, Man United and then Everton. Mm. Wasn't it? Or was it Everton, Man United? I can't remember which way it was. Uh, but he was a quality player. Um, I, I think generally probably one of the best right-backs I've seen at the, in, in the 50 years, yeah. without a doubt. Um, uh, again, in an era where you know, fullbacks were were very much defensive minded. He was you couldn't stop him going forward. He loved it, and he could run all day long. Um, yeah, John was was real quality. Um, very nervous. People don't realise how nervous he was. He, he was very conscious of if he played well, or very conscious of if he was playing up against a, a good winger. He, you could see he was nervous before the game. Um, uh, but off the pitch, you know, he was, you know, Jack the Lad, everybody loved him. He was great fun, uh, good company. And uh, he and I had a, a real good friendship together, yeah. What players or players <coughs> gave you the most hardest of times during your career, Brian? In terms of centre offs, who I play against and things like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Who, who well, would you think? Tough. Oh, God, I can have an early night tonight. I'm up against so and so tonight. Well, I, I, I remember. I, I, I spoke with, I, it's only a few years back now when we were probably in the championship, I was speaking with Roy McFarland in the, in, the, in, in the hospitality room. And Roy was supposedly the new breed of centre-half. You know, I mean, we were moving away from the big, tough, rough lads to somebody who was mobile and, um, and could run around. And, and it was a new breed. And Roy was classed as this, this is the new, the new way we're going to play, you know, because this fella can run and he's tall and he's slim. Um, uh, and and I and we someone asked him the question. He said, said to, "Oh, Roy, how many times you played against?" Him? He said, "I played against him a few times." And the fellow then said to him, "Did he score against you?" He said, 
he only scored against me the first time I played against him. He said, uh, uh, he scored two goals in the first half. He said, well, well, what did you do different to make it hard for him the next few games? He said, I kicked lumps out of him. <laughs> <laughs> so he hadn't, he wasn't especially as, 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 as uh, refined as people thought he was, you know. Yeah. Um, but he just said, he said, yeah, I, I, yeah, I just kicked lumps out of him. <laughs> and this was like the new breed of, of centre forward, centre half. So, uh, he, he, so he had a bit of everything about what I'm trying to say is, you know, he could play. He was more mobile. Um, I mean, that's why people like me got kicked so much because the, the, there were big lads the centre halves, you know, yeah. generally, generally well built, um, big, strong. I mean, the, 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 that's why I say you look at modern day centre half and they're nothing like the old fashioned 60s and 70s centre halves. Um, and, and you know, being physical was very much part of it. So, so Roy was was I, I didn't especially remember him as being one of my toughest characters, but that that was his answer to to that particular question. But I, I remember playing. Uh, you know, against uh, quite a few lads. Larry Lloyd frightened me once. You know, Larry Lloyd told me what he was going to do to me. You know, I, I uh, foolishly tackled Larry Lloyd. You know, and uh, that that wasn't the sort of thing you should do. And I actually really caught him, and I really hurt him. But he didn't say anything. He just went ow. He didn't make much noise. You know, he just I could see him sort of grunt, but he wouldn't let on that he was hurt. Um, but within, within a minute, once he got back up on the floor, he just looked at me and told him told me what he was going to do to me. Yeah. Um, so I kept out his way most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to keep right out of his way. But yeah, there were there were some tough characters, um, and you always knew you were going to have a hard game uh, against them. But um, yeah, and 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 you know, unfortunately, in that era, you know, they could kick you a couple of times before they'd even be spoken to by the referee. So uh, again, it made it. And the modern game has made forward players, you know, think far more uh, comfortably about what going in tackles or or being caught from behind. It just doesn't happen as much now, which which is a a, a really good thing for the game, to be honest. Yeah, it is because every team you right had a hard man, they had a hatchet man, and 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 they took no prisoners. In fact, the defensive partnership it was both of them giving you. You know, yeah. and they were taking turns, weren't they? So the referee yeah. then had done the third one, probably Bookham, but you probably had yeah. four or five before that. Yeah, and there was generally somebody who played in the middle of the park who was, Absolutely. was quite handy as well. Yeah. <laughs> he generally had a, I, mean, I had a young brother who was one of them. You know, my my brother Alan was definitely in that category. You know, I mean, he he only played three or four games for the Villa, but but went off and every club he played for, I, if I speak to people who, who were at that club or players who I've met over the years and they've come, oh, they said, oh, your brother, oh, my word. He was the toughest lad I've ever known sort of thing. So, you know, he made a, a name for himself as a holding midfield player, um, but was always like that type of person around as well in, in the game. So, um, but but holding midfield player in those days compared to holding midfield players today, um, you know, the holding midfield player today generally is a passer, breaks the play up a little bit and, and passes the ball around. Um, so there is still the same principle. In fact, I think we're going full circle almost in football. When I first started football, it was the old, you know, right back, left back, centre back, um, two left half, right half, inside. We talk about inside number eight players and number 10 yeah. players like we did back in the in the 50s even before I played football, you know, as a young schoolboy. We seem to be going back more and more to that type of those sentences come around. You know, he's a, you know he's an inside left. He's a number ten. He's an inside right. He's an attacking sort of number eight. You know, um, and I I I I 
talk about those sort of things to people as well. You know, there is a lot about the modern game, um, obviously changed, but still has prevalent, it's very prevalent and relevant to the 50s. Yeah. About, you know, talk about inside forwards and, and number 10s and number 8s and number 4s and, and holding this, holding midfield player. So there's always things that you can look back on that actually come back into the fashion. And, and right now, I think that's there's certainly two or three positions which they talk about, which were very similar to players who played in the 50s, which is before my time. Um, but I see the similarity in, in when they talk about number 10s and they talk about number 8s being how important to the team. Well, those players were massively important to football Was I when I was a schoolboy, really. Uh, you had a good inside left and a good inside right. You were you were one hell of a team. Yeah. And, and I see similarities today. You know, they talk about the 8s and the 10s. So um, there's still a little bit of, of goodness coming out of the, the older football, isn't there, really? I think that the, the modern game uh, has learned from the game's and the players of the past, because if you have no past, you have no history, you've got no present and you've got no future. So you always have mm. to look back with fondness and remember those yeah. fantastic players that played before you. Who were your heroes and your inspirations? Who was your inspiration and heroes, Brian, growing up? Well, I was a massive fan of George Best, I have to say. You know, I mean, uh, he, he, he uh, I, I, I remember being at Lillyshaw on a, on a coaching, I was a young player but we, were, we used to do the, the the donkey work for the coaches you know like we were told to be at the at, at Lily Shaw and, and all the coaches had coaching sessions with with us and um, yeah I remember you know I, I remember one day someone said to me in the, in the queue for dinner who's who's your I said oh George Best and I was starting to grow my hair then and, and Dave Sexton was behind me and he said you've got a long way to go yet son so <laughs> so uh, so but but it, so he was sort of clipping me around the ears in many respects. Not really, but I mean, I mean, just said, oh, you've got a long way to go, son. He obviously wasn't too far wrong, in all fairness. Um, but best was was generally. But I, I just, I, 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 tr I tried to learn from players who I played against. I remember Dennis Stewart teaching me an awful lot in a game. Uh, Man City played for Man City. I remember playing at Man City and they absolutely battered us three 0 at, at at Main Road. Yeah. And Stewart was incredible. And I played in one of those games where we never got the ball forward. We couldn't get the ball off them. They were they on that day were fantastic. And I remember basically standing there watching Dennis Stewart play, thinking, "Wow, look at him!" God. And I couldn't get into the game, you know. And you come off. It's there was games like that as a forward. You're thinking, "I haven't had a kick today." Um, but Stewart did, and, and two weeks later we played him in the in the uh, League Cup, as it was in those days uh, at Villa Park. And we beat them, I think it was 3-0, because I'm sure I scored two goals that day. And I, I, I'd learned so much, and I was so determined to try and show Dennis Stewart that I could do what he did. So even while you're playing a game, you can look at somebody and learn something. You know, and it, just his little movements and his little spins and his little flicks um, uh, inspired me to, to, to be better in a, in a game that was two weeks on from, from being beaten by them. And... Uh, we went on to win the League Cup that year, and we beat, but we beat Man City, I think it was 3-0, and we'd been beaten at their place, battered, only a week or so later, 10 days, maybe, maybe it's two weeks at the most. Um, so even watching a player playing against them can inspire you. You know, playing on the same pitch as Cruyff one day was inspirational. You know, watching Pelé play at Villa Park was inspirational. 
Um, but I liked I, I liked a lot of players. You know, um, there's so many people who, uh, uh, you know, uh, if if you, if you look at the, the the players, Rodney Marsh, them type of players, um, they were they were different, and they were allowed to be different, and they were allowed to stand there, you know, waving your arm around, saying, "What are you what are you doing? You know, give it to me. I'll show you what to do." There was there was a bunch of them, you know. Uh, there was there was there was the lad at Queens Park Rangers. Oh my word! Come on, name Stan Stanley. Stan Bowles. Stan, of course. Stan, you know. I mean, there was people like that, you know, in in positions all up and down the country. Um, and it was as the, as as the era had it. So they were they were iconic for that particular era. So playing against those sort of people, um, even if you didn't, if you had the worst game of the two. I case I used to watch the other person play and think, yes, okay, got that. Yeah, I've seen that run. Yeah, I've seen that. So you were, you were even teaching yourself while you were playing, and um, you know, you would often you often taught yourself an awful lot when when uh, when the opposition had given you a hard time because let's face it, you couldn't go back and watch the game. Or you know, we could we couldn't learn football from from sitting in an office with you know a coach or somebody sitting saying, oh look at this movement he did, oh look at that one, look at the it wasn't. It just wasn't available. You know, we weren't on television. You were lucky to get on television once a year for the yeah. FA Cup final. Um, so we couldn't watch the games. We, if you were lucky enough to get five minutes on the big match or the Sunday afternoon thing, you were, you know, you were thinking, "Great, I've not been on." Oh, oh, I've only been on for one kick. But you, got, you know, you played the whole <laughs> game. But you couldn't learn anything from those particular short videos of of what the game was about. So it was all self-taught or taught by coaches by talking to you. So you have to learn in a different way. I mean, it, it must be fantastic for these youngsters today to be able to sit down with somebody who's analysed their game and shown them things what to do. Now, the most important thing is to what you're shown, you've got to learn for and then be able to, to produce it as well. And, and that's often the hardest thing. You know, you know what to do, but can you produce it? Um, I think from my point of view, in my era... It, the honest thing to say was I had to watch the other player, certain types of player, when we played against them, not when they were on telly, because you never saw them get a kick on telly hardly. You'd see the odd bit of brilliance, but you had to watch them while you were playing in the same game as them to, to learn from them sort of players. And, and that was a massive part of my um, uh, learning curve. You know, Not just learning from the coaches, learning from watching players who I was playing against on the day. I was trying to find on YouTube the um, goal that you scored at Bristol City, but sadly... Oh, no, it's not on. No, I've never no, seen that. But what an iconic picture, Brian, that is. How the hell did you get up so high to, to volley that well, ball? But, you know, when I was a young kid, I used to play an awful lot of basketball. Yeah. I, I was actually quite a good basketball player. And, and your basketball teaches you that when you're doing a, 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 you know, a, a run and jump at the, at the, the, the net or the board, the backboard... It teaches you to go this one, two stride. Yep. And I, I, I just think that I had that sort of, if you get that sort of timing into a jump, and on that particular day and on that particular picture, you know, Terry Weir put me on one of those one, two jumping airs. And it's amazing how hard you get if you get that synchro into it. If the, if the synchronization into it is right, uh, you know, you get an awful lot higher than a standing jump or a backward jump or just one-footed jump. Um, and I think on that particular occasion, um, you know, I, he caught me in a, in a stride where I'd got the one, two, and right up in the air. I got the momentum to take myself 
up in the air. And of course, he took the picture of it as well, which which was, and I, I still love it to this day. It was at Bristol City pre-season. And I was talking to those a few people in, in, in the boardroom and things like that, and uh, one of the lads was saying to me, one of the, the, the said, well, did you ever score here? And I went, I'll tell you what, I'll show you a picture. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was uh, happily boasting in the boardroom that day, you know, I said, yeah, yeah I'll show you a picture. I said, yeah, this was scored here. So uh, I've had an opportunity to show that off this year, which was which was really sort of enjoyable. Um, so yeah, it was it was a great goal, and um, and Terry caught it absolutely perfectly, which was great for me, really. Were you talking about basketball? Paul Fletcher, the Burnley centre forward of the seventies, he was very good at basketball when he yes. was a kid. Yes. And he was telling yes. me how he used his basketball skills yes. to elevate him to get up and win those headers. Yeah. Well, you see, people often run, stop, and double jump with their two feet. You know, yeah. like, that's sometimes the case. But if you get that momentum and and that 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 what you need to do to to play basketball to jump as high as you can. Yeah. If you get that in your stride. And it's 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 readily available for everybody, and I'm sure other people do it without even thinking about it. But um, it was something that I taught, I'd been taught through basketball. And as you say, I, I remember Fletcher. My, he could jump, could be my word. He he was uh, he was. I remember as a kid going to Burnley and watching him play. You know, so uh, yeah, it was he he could do that. But that's how I got up there on that one particular day. That's for sure. I um I went on Twitter the other day, cause, um, well, a couple of months back probably now, Calvin Lewin, I think he's brilliant in the air, and I just put a tweet out to him, did you ever play basketball, son? <laughs> I mean, it never got back to me, but, oh, but, okay. but it is a skill to be able to get up there and for central strikers, and for the kids learning the trade, go and play basketball for a bit, you might get an extra spring in your jump. Your yeah. fantastic League Cup exploits uh, against Queen's Park Rangers. You broke the uh, the hearts of the Loftus Road faithful at Highbury um, yeah. when you scored a hat-trick. And Dennis made every one of them, didn't he? Yeah, Mortimer, well, he was immense. I mean, he, he mm. was at the heartbeat of everything on that particular team. Um, yeah, the... the, the, uh, the, the I'm trying to... The, you know, the, the three goals were... Uh, he was he was very just instrumental in a lot of yeah. games, you know. And, and, and Dennis was, um, as I said, the, you know, he powered his way, and he actually got stronger as the game goes on. I mean, you know, that that was so his fitness levels were were, were incredibly good. But yeah, Dennis played a big part that particular game. Um, uh, never quite got the credit that he he deserved for it. Um, uh, uh, and and obviously that was one of my finest nights to to. To score up in the semi-final to go to, to to Wembley was was fantastic for me, yeah. And then, of course, in the uh, the, the, the final, then the the trilogy that ended at <laughs> Old Trafford wasn't the first time that you scored a wonderful goal at Old Trafford because you did score against them in the FA Cup, didn't you? Um, for Aston Villa. Uh, yeah, I think it's I think it sort of floated in. I could never have powered it in. I, 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 I've seen it a few times. It, for me, I mean, it's, it, I didn't score many goals from outside the box. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, I mean, that, that, that at Old Trafford, I think Stepney was in goal. Alex Stepney, I think, at the, on the day. Um, but yeah, that that was good. And then, then the, the two goals in the final, um, it was pure fatigue uh, on behalf of everybody apart from Dennis. But we were we were a fairly fit side in those days. We were renowned for our fitness, as I've said, because of Saunders. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, 
so everybody was that tired on the last goal. I just got a chance to side put it in. Um, uh, it, yeah, it was it was a great night. Um, you know, winning cup final, playing that that season three cup finals um, was was quite interesting. Um, uh, yeah, I, I mean the, the Wembley game was was poor. Hillsborough game was quite a decent game, all fitness. Um, and, and the one at Man United where it had to be resolved, I think. Um, looked as if it was going to go into a penalties. I'm sure I, I, I've read up a little bit since. I've never been sure whether it was going to go to penalties or not, but I think I read the other week that um, it would have it was deemed to go to penalties, which would have been a first. But obviously, you know, I, I snuck in in the last minute to to get the winner, which uh, which you know the commentator Julie said, well, that's it, they've won the cup now, sort of thing, which is a a nice thing to hear. How did it feel when you scored that goal so late? Because ultimately, you know, it was a ding-dong game. And when you scored in those dying minutes, the team are dead on the feet, aren't they? So that really killed them. How did you feel when you scored that? I bet you could have run back to Birmingham. Yeah, I think, well, I think it does, doesn't it? You get, yeah. you know, it's amazing what a goal does to, to any any individual. I mean, I, I, I can relate to watching Matty Cash at the weekend. <laughs> what a goal, yeah. <laughs> he scored a great goal and nobody could catch him. You know, it was brilliant. I mean, uh, yeah. and he's such a lovely lad, which is which is fantastic. Uh, I actually met his dad just before the game as well, which was great as well. So that that was. Uh, but yeah, you know, you can even see it in today's football, scoring a goal and how much it does for you. It's brilliant. So, I mean, I, I I obviously didn't sprint anywhere and I didn't celebrate too much. I just ran over to uh, to smudge up in the boys and uh, and other people come over and. and Patted each other on the back and then right and then and then we jogged back to the halfway line. Didn't even walk, do we not? You know what I mean? I look. That's the thing. What makes me laugh? You know, we we didn't we didn't walk back slowly to the halfway line. We like jogged back. <laughs> it's like yeah, come on, let's get on with it, sort of thing. Whereas you know, today you would slow down, lads. You know, make just rub the pain into them. You know, you just make sure you're rubbing it in. Um, so there's all of that which which evolved, doesn't it? Really, you know, we. We didn't do those sort of things, you know. All right, we scored. Let's jog back to the halfway line and start again. There's 30 seconds to go. We almost given them a chance to equalise, aren't we? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could, have, we could have waited a minute to get back to the halfway line, but you just didn't do it. So those are the things that stick in my mind more than anything else. Um, almost the naivety of it in many ways. You know, we just just got on with things. We just mm. did things. Whereas, you know, lots of things have evolved in the modern game, which. Um, which is which is great. It's 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 apt. It's it's the right thing to do, um, and I'm sure as a manager, I'd said to players quite a few times afterwards, when you've scored, just settle down, take your time, yeah. compose yourselves, make sure when you get back to, to positions, you're ready to play again. Don't just jog back there, turn around and ready to go, and you're not set. And I think you know that's why there were pro- probably so many goals within within a minute in, in the olden days. You know, you yeah. someone else would score straight away because. You know, you didn't really rub it in. You didn't really, you didn't really think about it. You just went, started off again, playing again. <clears throat> and it was, you. It was always said, wasn't it, back in the olden days that you know you, you you're at your most um, vulnerable the minute you've scored a goal. Yeah. It was a, a common saying in those days. Um, so we've all learned from those sort of things as well. So it's great what what the game has taught people as you go along. Well, my team, Birmingham, were at the most vulnerable at any minute in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. Well, you could say that. I, I, I definitely couldn't say that. No, no, you're, very, you're too kind. What was the highest, <laughs> the highest high that you received at Villa as a player? 
Um, and, and also the lowest low must have been the fact that you had to retire at the age of just 27. And for the young kids yeah. listening to this podcast, Jack Grealish is 26 now. Next year, yeah. he retires. That's That was thought, your scenario. Yeah. So sad. Yeah. I, I don't know. And I, 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 as you said that, it makes me think when you mentioned I mean, I'd played 304 games yeah. by the time I was 27. I'm not sure how many they played today. I don't know at, at that age. So, uh, And I missed games with injuries because I'd damaged my knee a couple of times. Um, I've never really compared it like that. But well, my, my lowest obviously would be, you know, I mean, I think um, I think first, not so much the, the one that I knew I was pretty much finished with, but when I remember hurting my knee the first season after playing for England. I, I damaged my knee at, at Everton. And it took me quite some time. To, I mean, they put me in plaster for six weeks and I only had a cartilage operation. Yeah. Um, uh, so that, that injury, which was the start of me having knee problems, um, is a day I'll never forget. And, and to be honest, it, it actually hurt me more. I remember the pain that first time was greater than the team. When I hurt it against walls, I had to come off. Uh, and I knew there was something really, really wrong, but it just felt loose my knee. Whereas when I hurt it against Everton, God, it hurt me. I was in absolute agony. So that's the the most painful, and because it was painful, it sticks in my mind more than anything else. Um, uh, the best moments, it, it, it's difficult. I mean, as a, as a, I get mixed up now because I've had so many great moments with with management in in, in other places. So to, to talk about my, my greatest moment at Villa as a player. Um, I, it's a difficult one. I, I, I guess the first thing that's coming to mind is the fact that I, you know, I scored the hat trick in the semi-final. That's that's a great achievement. You know, that's a wonderful thing for me. Um, but I don't think it was my finest game, sort of thing. But I, it, it's, it, achievement sort of comes out as a different meaning to me. I, 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 you know, I because I can I can genuinely think. You know, when you talk to me about the the, the the League Cup final first time round, I think I played better in that game. But I, you know, I didn't score, but we won the League Cup. Yeah. But you know, years later, I've scored a hat trick in the semi final, and it's more of an achievement. But I don't think I played as well in in in, in that particular game. I find it very difficult to, to to say what my finest moment was as a player. I have you know, lots of memories, but they were scarred by by being finished. You know that. that it's not a, it's not an easy thing to take. Um, somehow I I recovered and got on with it. So and and then if you said to me my favourite achievement in football would be winning the league with with Villa as a manager because I never ever dreamt that I would ever do that. So to have to have done that, um, I, I just think that that was the best ever sort of thing, you know. Because um, uh, I don't think anybody would have. And they, certainly people who played with me would never have thought I'd have done that. <laughs> so I, that me to have done something that people didn't think I could do uh, sticks out like a sore thumb. What was the... I mean, obviously, you, you, you were a player, you were playing as a manager, you were a manager, but it, it must have been a very, very close second to win the League Cup as a manager. How, how, did, how did that make you feel compared to when you were a player? as a young and winning the League Cup? Oh, in my first League Cup, I can still remember going to bed and dreaming. And, yeah. and I couldn't go to sleep because I was just dreaming about playing in the final. And I was dreaming about what I was going to do. And I was dreaming about who I was playing against. And I was thinking about what, what I could do to make me better on that day. So the first one was always the uh, the one that was... Uh, I wouldn't say I was nervous. I, I genuinely wasn't nervous. But I, 
I thought more about football than people thought I did. Yeah. You know, because I had long hair and, and looked a little bit scraggy when I played, a lot of people had often said to me, you know, well, you must have been so carefree. It was untrue. Well, I was, but I, I still genuinely, like I said, when I watched Dennis Stewart, when I was watch, I was watching him. People wouldn't think that me standing on the pitch with long hair would be watching Dennis Stewart because he's playing well and I'm not. You know, they wouldn't think, oh, look at him, he's not bothered. Because looks can be effective. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 there's a lot of things about me which of, of, you know, people who knew me as a manager, you know, of a certain age, wouldn't relate me as a manager to me as a player. They would, you know, they would say, oh yeah, you know, uh, looks after himself, looks tidy, which I always try and do now. I was quite scruffy as a player, um, uh, but that's the way I was. You know, I was, you know, I like my long hair. I like to, you like to have the biggest, baggiest uh, hipsters and and, and flares than anybody else. Um, so I've built a couple of characters about in myself, you know, which I'm quite proud of. I've, I don't know quite which one I am, to be honest. Because, <laughs> uh, but I'm a bit of a showman, I think. You know, I like. I don't mind the crowd. I don't. I don't mind. Well, a football crowd. Um, outside of football, you know, I, I, I just disappear into the background. Um, it brings the worst and the best out of me, I think, in many respects. Um, but I think anybody who knew me as a player probably wouldn't associate me as a manager. People who knew me as a manager would never associate me as the sort of player I was. Um, you know, and I often I get it now. Now when I when I go to football matches and. You know, the parents will be saying to the little one, oh, I saw Brian play, you should have seen him play. And he goes, and then the, the kid will say, well, but he was the manager, wasn't he? And then and he's got a little recollection of me as a manager sort of thing. Uh, only because he's been told about it, but no recollection whatsoever about me as being a uh, a player. So, it's, you know, it's, it's it's sort of changed to have, it's, it's amazing to have changed my personality. I, or it seems as if I've changed my personality within my lifestyle and lifetime. Um, I, I I see it as going. I see football as me going on stage. Yeah. And that, I, that's and, and that. So I'm not sure that it's the real me, to be honest. You know, I mean, I'm I'm here at home, and I'm just dad. You know, I'm just like everybody else. You know, and I'm the son of a miner, and I'm proud of being the son of a miner, and I'm proud of my mum and my dad who passed away. You know, I, I think of them nearly every time I talk about them. You know, so. Um, so I'm proud of my upbringing, uh, but I don't. I don't think. I think football for me at a stage when I go out of this house and I'm going to a match now, I'm going to work and I'm, I have to do what I know I have to do. Um, which, you know, some people go, "Oh, get us a couple of tickets, right? Can I come and sit?" Yeah, I'm going. No, I'm going to work. I'm, you know. <laughs> uh, so I, I've, I've just that's, that's it for me. The football is the stage where I, you know. Whatever gear I've got on, that's, I'm that person. I am that part of me. The long hair, the show-offy footballer, um, the polite, correct, organised manager. Um, and I'd like to think now, you know, in terms of anything ambassadorial, I'm not going to let the club down. Um, anything that's advisory, I'm not going to say anything I shouldn't say. I'm going to say what I think because it's the right thing to say what you think. So football, all of football to me is... Is like is the stage, and and when I go on that stage, I'm working, and I I I, I adapt to whatever my particular role is at that time. And it's been a wonderful stage for you, hasn't it? It's been a wonderful <clears throat> place of work, Villa Park, 
I yeah. do remember there was a time at the end of your career when there was a possible, well, there wasn't a possibility you signed for Birmingham City. And I do remember yeah. talking to you before and you're saying, well, I'm glad that I didn't because, you know, Villa fans might have looked at me differently had I gone and played for Birmingham. But Ron Saunders crossed the city. Yeah. And well, lots of people still, have. Yeah, absolutely. But I think when the bigger star players and the bigger mm-hmm. star managers do, it, it's a it's a bigger shockwave, isn't it? But Ron Saunders to this day is still revered at Villa Park as, Villa and Park, rightly as the greatest manager. Whether he managed mm-hmm. Birmingham City or not is irrelevant. And I think he would a have been the same A lot of people won't know that. No, yeah, a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of younger people won't know that. You know, they, I see people say to me sometimes, oh, you nearly went to Birmingham. I say, yeah. Um, yeah. Dennis Mortimer played for Birmingham City. Yeah, he did, didn't. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> I said, Des Brenner did. Yeah. I said, Tony Morley played a yeah, few yeah. games. But, you know, there is that, in, that era is, it was all about, well, where do you live? I live in the Midlands, so you play for the, the Midlands clubs. You don't Absolutely. you don't go that far. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, as I've said, I mean that that's that the modern game is completely different. The, the, we know society today has changed; it's a completely different world to, to what it was. I mean, because you know, we know or I know that because of you know being brought up in the fifties and, and you know school was short, son and, and being the last person to have his long trousers at school and all that sort of thing. Because I just remember all those things as a kid. You know, I'm a, I come from a very very uh, uh, a background of, of of being around the mines and the pits with my dad and and going to the you know used to play used to play in the local band and I used to go marching with them and things like that. It, it's a completely different world I live in now, um, and uh, you know that, that you just got you respect for all that and 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 you know then that you know if if the shop over the road offered you a job and it was a little bit more money, you'd go and do work in the other shop sort of thing because you had to you couldn't say no to it. Absolutely. And fo- football in those days was the same. You know, um, I don't know any footballer from my era who who could have retired on what they earned in football. No, no chance. No, they had to do well in other stuff, and there are lots of them who do well. Um, so you know, you, you're still a worker. You're still you're still not grounded. I'm not saying for modern footballers aren't grounded because you know love, some of them are. There's some great lads around, and there always will be. Um, but it's you know we're very. You know, as I said, the, the part part about week was was having a drink of beer in the pub with the fans and everything. You know, and, and being just a lot, just part of the community. Whereas it's very difficult for them to be that these days. You know, because they're not really allowed to do it. And it wouldn't be it would be more frowned upon if you, someone was seen on a pint in the pub with with everybody every night of the week, sort of thing. You know, so it's it, it's I'm, I'm pleased to have witnessed all of these eras. You know, fifty years of football. Um, and being in football is, and being around the, the club like Aston Villa that I have been, it's it's been just a wonderful period for me. And you know, I, I think I, I'm I'm going to probably I don't get the stat wrong, but in the entire history of Aston Villa, there are only six of the, the club's managers that I've never met in my life. In the entire history of Aston Villa, uh, there are only six managers that I've never met in my life. Well, that's how. And that's an incredible start, and you can check that out for me because in I know Eric from Eric out in the early fifties. I have met or been in the room with or talked to or know very well every one of the managers. Yeah. But what you have to think of is the first manager Aston Villa was manager for forty years, <laughs> and, that's, <laughs> and that's how life was in those days. Yeah, it was. But but I I genuinely have met, talked to, or know 
all but six of Aston Villa's managers wow. in the club's entire history. So that's like, you know, and I look at that and I say that, when I say that to myself, I go, wow, bloody heck. So that's why I love the place, isn't it, really? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just in me now, very much in me. And um, whatever happens tomorrow or the day after the day after that, I have what I have and I'll never lose what I've had. It's great, it's brilliant. I don't think that Aston Villa could have a better ambassador. I don't think there's anybody else that that could be called <clears throat> Mr. Aston Villa. And you rightly are that person. Your wonderful book, My Aston Villa, is out now. I'm waiting for my postman to bring a signed copy <laughs> and chuck it through the letterbox. But anybody that hasn't ordered it yet can still order it from all the W's officialbrianlittle.com that's correct isn't it yes I believe it's right in front of you because I'm not very good at remembering things like that but, um, so I can't promote myself on that particular stage so I hope you're right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and are Aston Villa stocking it in the club shop as well Brian oh no no right now we are looking after it ourselves yeah. Pedro and I want to test ourselves I, I am officially the postman uh, I have been uh, stacking books up, posting them, uh, signing them, sending them out to people. I have a lot of friends, a lot of help from a friend of mine, and my wife's best friend, and my wife herself. So we're a little, like a little army here at home. And you know, I, I'm sitting signing and and, uh, and making sure this is going on. Uh, the others are, 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 are postage in them, the address is on, and uh, we've been unbelievably busy the last week, um, and. Uh, I, I, I'm I just proud of the book. You know, I like the look of the book. I love, when I look at it, it's written blue about it and everything. It just, I, I'm, I, yeah, it's something that when I spoke to Pedro, I keep calling him Pedro, I'm sorry, but uh, he, you know, when I spoke to him before last Christmas, we just said, look, oh, yeah, great idea. But if it's not very good, we'll have to just stop. But it'll give us something to do to start. But once we started, all of these things you talk to me about about the seventies, especially so, but it's it's more than that. It's it's you know how how each team has done. I'm not being nasty. It's easy, but you know you, sometimes you know I, I I can explain why I think to some people why something went wrong. You know, and 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 it's easier for me now to look and say, yeah, you know, they weren't far off getting it right, but they just made a few. When you look at a Ron Saunders team, and then look to see a team. Say, say 2015-16 when the club were relegated you can actually see why good players didn't gel together because yeah. a lot of the team went on to play quite well all over the world 2015-16 but it was probably one of the worst seasons the club's ever had and I try and say to, to people in, inside the book I'll try and explain what I think you know didn't work for them in that particular period in the game and, and other things and other, and other eras how I you know, I admire Ron Atkinson as well as in, and Ron and I and myself, myself, Ron and John, which is a very important period in my life. I think we complemented each other. We passed on something to each other and left someone left to work with. But to put my own stamp on it, but John put his own stamp on mine and, and, and Martin and, and, and other things like that. So there's lots of things in the book that will, will, will impress uh, a lot of people. And uh, I hope they enjoy it because I've certainly enjoyed putting it together. And, and Pedro's been a, a, a real trooper. Um, you know, he's a clever man for me. He knows a lot about me. So he got things out of me, which I'd probably hidden away for quite some time, to be honest, you know. So 
I, I think I think they'll enjoy it, especially a Villa. I mean, it's going to be Villa fans anyway. Um, so I think they'll enjoy it. I really do. Well, I am a Birmingham City fan, as you know, Brian, mm. and I yep. will enjoy it because I love talking and reading about great football players and certainly great football players when I was growing up in the 70s. So uh, can I thank you so much, as always, for your time and uh, all the very best going forward with, with the book. When's the next book coming out and when's our next podcast? And if you and uh, Pedro want to do a <laughs> I've podcast... Got a few, we'll I've actually got a few up. surprises. I'll tell you off air what I'm going to do next, but I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not going to... <laughs> I have to do something. I have to do something, my friend. I, I can't sit and do nothing, me. That's for sure. So there is another project, but it'll be a little while yet. But I know what I'm going to do. Brilliant. Looking forward to it already, Brian. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll text you and then you can text me back and I'll have that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be right, right by you, mate, helping you all all that I can. All right, brilliant to speak to you again. Take care. Cheers, Brian. Thank you. And thanks for listening, guys. Bye-bye now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.